You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to Series 9, Episode 52 of the Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm good, John. Um, I'm hosting for a change um, and with us we still have F-Bomb. F-Bomb, John. How are you? Yeah, I'm alright. It's weird how you said there, I'm good, John. It's almost as if someone's asked you, how are you feeling? But yeah. I know, obviously, that is your name, Good John. And I've actually been good recently. I was saying when Aaron was on, I think even Leanne, I've not swore, I think, for a few weeks, I don't think. Maybe I have, yeah. but I don't know. What's it? I've not dropped the F-bomb anyway, I'm pretty no, sure. No, I've not heard that for a while. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think Leanne's more, more than us last week. Um, she was a great guest. <laughs> Um, to be fair, enjoy yes. the run in there as well, so that was a good week. We've got another two um, this week, and the first of our two guests is um, a fellow podcaster um, from the Campbell's Football Podcast, Grant Campbell. How are you, Grant? I'm very well, guys. Uh, thanks very much for asking me to come on the podcast. Yeah, no, it's our pleasure, and um, you're obviously doing very well for yourself, so we'll be after a few tips from you, um, so <laughs> we can join you in that top, is it, are you in the top 20 just now? Well, I was in the top 25 at the weekend there past, um, I haven't checked today, uh, but absolutely thrilled with those numbers, I mean, obviously, you guys know, uh, the podcast chart's a very fluctuating process, and it's a very competitive market, so to just even be in the top 40 is an achievement for me to, to get in the top 25 is simply sensational yeah I don't even I, I can never find us in the chat um, but we'll try and get that up <laughs> we're, off the, we're off the chart <laughs> <laughs> in the stratosphere <laughs> yeah maybe we maybe we just can't we can't see ourselves and um, drive for half an hour for an eye test um, so uh. very topical at the moment isn't it <laughs> no, what's Jason Cummings been up to <laughs> So what's he done now, Jason Cummings? I know. <laughs> That's an awkward silence. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, I... it's, it's just a very, um, very uh, interesting dynamic, isn't it? It's just this uh, this ambiguity about what is the correct uh, response and what is, you know, the correct approach. And, you know, it seems, in, certainly from the outside looking in, that there has been a discrepancy um, from... Um, Dominic Cummins aside um, obviously I have to be very careful what I say with these sorts of things but uh, you know I think um, you know certainly um, there is a differentiation there um, between obviously what happened with the, the Scottish case with uh, Catherine Calderwood uh, and what happened down in London uh, which was uh, yeah very very interesting yeah I'll, tr- I'll try not to get political about it but from what I can see um, one side um, was quite remorseful and were eventually did the right thing um, whereas the other side just seems yeah. a bit arrogant but um, we'll move um, swiftly on because otherwise we will. this will not be a good podcast um, <laughs> but go on to yours Grant so just um, give us a brief um, overview of how your podcast started when did it start was it this year? Uh, well it started out as a podcast um, this time roughly last year in 2019 but Campbell's Footballs really came about three years beforehand but mainly as a Facebook Live uh, kind of gaffe or, or kind of laugh so to speak. Um, basically I've always been uh, interested in predicting football matches. Um, you know when I was growing up from the age of about seven or eight 
uh, my dad and I mainly, uh, but other, also my my mum and my brother uh, and other members of our family. We got together on a Saturday. We would drop the fixtures from Scottish League, uh, the Premiership, uh, what is the Championship now, uh, League One, League Two, and the English Premiership, and we would predict the score lines or you know home away or draw each week. A little bit like the the, the kind of pools that you see obviously nowadays. Um, so we we start with starting out, and you know that was that was always a good bit of laugh, and you know we never did very well, but that was that was part and parcel of it. And you know Campbell's footballs really came about because I've always been interested in predictions. Um, for those who don't know, uh, I am a doctor in science. I uh, passed my PhD in in the world of soils and environmental sciences last year, um, and my focus of my PhD is about predictions, um, predicting of soil properties in. The UK and it marries quite well because my Twitter handle is at handle is at stato underscore grant and it marries quite well because as I said I'm always interested in predicting outcomes of football matches and my PhD was always about predictions of you know the environment so they marry together quite well and the the tagline of my podcast is bad predictions cancelled out by good crack because I'm rubbish at predicting football matches. <laughs> I'm absolutely terrible at predicting. You know, I can't remember the last time, uh, and obviously gamble responsibly. I'm going to mention that straight off the cuff, but you know, I, I can't remember the last time I won a bet at the boogies. <laughs> I mean, so bad. Um, but I think that's part and parcel of the podcast because you know I've always tried, wherever possible, to give my own thoughts on the kind of week's events, um, both in the domestic front but also on European stage, uh, and give my own personal opinions. Now, I don't expect everyone to agree with my opinions, but at the same time, they're uh, my own views. And, you know, I, I challenge people to have a debate with me uh, on these issues. And, you know, over time, um, people thought you could be quite good at this, you know, and I started getting my friends to join me uh, on Facebook Live to, to, to challenge me in my predictions challenge. Um, and that's how that's how I came about. But at the end of last year, um, I was always thinking about how can I make Campbell's footballs a legacy? How can I make it um, interesting to people out with the northeast of Scotland? Because, you know, I have a, I have a great um, connections with a lot of people up here, but also I feel that um, I can offer something different because, as I said, uh, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a football player or an ex-professional player, but I'm interested in the dynamics and the diversity and, you know, the, the varying nodes that encompass football. And that's how I decided to make Campbell's Footballs a podcast. Um, a, because, you know, I'm a very busy guy anyway. Um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of stuff with my with my job, my spare time. And, you know, I, I want to, to, to continue to do what I'm doing. But at the same time, I want to make sure that people can listen to me when they're on the go, whether they're in the car, whether they're going for a walk or whatever. Uh, and then I and then I came up with it as a podcast and it's kind of really taken off from there really and I, I've been quite lucky in a way because you know I've had to I've had to be very determined in what I've done and I think that's come from my PhD days uh, but also just myself as a person I've always been very driven and very focused um, some of it can be misconstrued at times because you know I I I want to always do my best and sometimes you know I, I push myself too hard and can be a little bit um, you know, um, problematic in terms of going at it too quickly, um, you know, a bit rash at times. But now that I've done a PhD and, and I've kind of moved into this sort of new domain, I've learned to be quite patient and I've learned to try and, 
you know, just respect and, and learn a little bit more about the dynamics within the football. And, and hopefully that comes across in my podcast that people have listened to or, or hope to listen to in the future. Yeah, and just um, what have you made of it? The um, how how far it's grown in uh, these last twelve months? Because as we say, we've talked about you know being you've been in the top twenty-five. Uh, it's an incredible rise, and considering there's a lot of podcasts out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great question, John. Um, I'm astonished to be honest, um, and I genuinely mean that because um, I always saw Campbell's footballs as a hobby. Um, I thought you know even if my dad. Um, and my dad and my my folks are are my biggest critics, no doubt about it. You know they they'll they'll look at it or they'll listen to my podcast and they'll and they'll challenge me on on things like why didn't you mention this or why didn't you mention why uh, X and Y is it? And that's good because it drives me to do even better for the next one. Uh, I'm always interested in adding my own personal um, thoughts and memories into the discussions I have with people. Because you're never, you, the chances are you're never going to be able to speak to these people again. Um, you know, I have a lot of idols in the world of, of football during my 29 years or well, 29 years, I'm 29 in July, and uh, you know, I've, I've, you know, I have a lot of memories um, in the game or, or listening to people in the game, I should say, and I, I want to encapsulate that in my discussions with people because, as I said, the ver- the chance of you actually meeting these people again is is remote to nil. And, you know, I, I never in a million years thought I would get Campbell's footballs once upon a time to 25. If it goes any higher than that, I'll be, I'll be, you know, I think I'll maybe dance around the earth for about two weeks or something. Um, but, you know, as I said to you, I think I've always been quite driven. I've always been quite focused. Um, I've always been one to never be underestimated. Um, I always feel sometimes... Uh, people can slightly underestimate me as a person um, and maybe write me off a little bit. And that drives me on. And, and throughout my life, I've always had this notion and this idea of always wanting to prove people wrong, but also prove me right in a way. Um, and at some at times, I've maybe not had the confidence in my own abilities at times. And maybe, obviously, with a PhD and that, you get experience of that and you start to believe a lot more in yourself well if you want to be successful and people have asked me about Campbell's tools and you know, what advice would you give to, to budding podcasters my, my first thing I always say is you have to believe in yourself and um, if you don't believe in yourself then you're not going to get very far with it you have to be driven you have to be ambitious uh, and yeah you, you have to give um, anything a go because you know I mean I, I, I one of my dreams and, and people ask me is is to appear on BBC Sport now It'll probably never happen, but you know, if this continues to go any further, then then who knows? I mean, I've I've you know I've I've met some incredible people and talked to so many incredible people. It's you know I, I'm amazed myself, and I'm very honoured to to chat with these people. Absolutely. Yeah, you've certainly got your hand in the the media side of things because you've had, um, I mean, when I was looking back at some of your episodes, I've not had a chance to listen to them because there's so many. Um, mm-hmm. Guy Mowbray is one that really stands out. This is a guy that's commentated in three World Cup finals. How did that one come about? Guy is a is a commentator that I've admired for a long, long time. Um, certainly from his days on the Premiership on ITV um, was where I first um, came upon him. Um, and more recently, his commentary of Pirlo's outstanding 
Penenka penalty mm-hmm. uh, at the 2012 World Cup. Now, okay, it was against England, and you know, you obviously want anybody. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be Andy Murray and say, you know, anybody that plays England, you want them to invite them. But you know, I I love Pelo as a player. I think he's an unbelievable player. But but going back to Guy Mowbray, um, that came about purely by me just just sending an email to his organisation or his company that he works for, and basically saying, look, I'm a guy who's just starting out. Um, I'm really interested in talking to a range of people from the world of football in a range of different ways. I admire Guy's work and what he's done throughout the game and just basically asked, would it be possible to come on the podcast and just discuss with me his journey uh, and, and maybe give us a few, bit, a few bits of advice and, and ideas? And Guy was a very open uh, guy, um, pardon the pun, and uh, yeah, re- really... Um, Really interesting to chat with him. What I love about Guy so much is that he doesn't support a big team. He's a York City fan. And what I love about that is the connections I could make with York City about the fact that Jackie McNamara used to manage them. And Guy was also telling me that that didn't work out so well. And, you know, just listening to him about his experiences of being at major tournaments, as you guys mentioned there. And, you know, that Iniesta goal at, at, at South Africa, you know, the, the Euro 2012 you mentioned is the one that stands out for me. But this guy is commentating on World Cups and, you know, he's spoken to a range of people and and spoke and, and worked with people like Mark Lawrenson, who, you know, had an outstanding playing career, obviously, and, you know, people like that. It was a real privilege. Um, I'm not going to lie. That's probably That was probably at the time... My biggest aim I got on Campbell's footballs. I mean, everybody said to me, everybody says to me, how does my first guest sort of come about? And and I, in my spare time, I play lawn bowls as a sport. Um, my dad is uh, a wonderful player and, and won multiple singles titles. I was the 2019 champion at Ellen Bowling Club where I play. And uh, what I found really interesting is that I had the opportunity to uh, chat with Paul Mitchell, who is a commentator for the BBC uh, but has also played lawn bowls as a sport. So there was a connection there. And I always like to try and get people on where I feel I can make a connection in part one of that statement, but also too that I find that their careers are out with the norms, so to speak, um, because that's where the, the, the varied and diverse nature of Campbell's wheels go to bike. But I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm kind of diverging away from your question, but but Guy was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, I really thank him for coming on and, He's a fabulous commentator, and I know I can only see him still being at the Beeb for for quite a number of years. Yeah, I think he's nailed on um, for being number one commentator for some years to come. Because I don't even think yeah. he's he's that old either. I think he's what, yeah. late forties, um, mid mid to late forties, I think. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I thought that was. I say I'll need to listen. To that. One that I did listen to is um, was Matt Holland. Is he arguably your big name, biggest name guest so far? Um. No, um, undoubtedly my biggest guest I would have had is Craig Brown. Um, oh, yeah. You know, to and you know what really is interesting about Craig Brown, John, is you know not many people would be invited to Craig's house to speak with a guy who has the last manager to have guided Scotland to a major tournament, uh, France '98, uh, and I can't tell you guys how much. Um, you know, the whole experience, just being in Craig's company, it, it, it was like all the hairs on my back stood up and tingled. You know, I was I was there for around three hours, 
and it went like that. And I don't know if my clicked fingers caught on your uh, recording there, but uh, it was it was like blink and you miss it. Um, it's a two-parter, um, and I hope people listen to that one because I still believe it's my best one because I was personally, physically there speaking with Craig face-to-face, and I felt so comfortable chatting with Craig about his time, not just as a, a manager, which we all remember him by, but as a player as well. And, and that dynamic was interesting. And the stories he told, oh, what a guy. What a what an unbelievable gent. And in my opinion, one of the most underrated managers in Scottish football, without shadow of a doubt. Well, Scotland manager, um, he goes down as the greatest Scotland manager ever, in my opinion. No, yeah, he took yeah. two major finals um, in succession. Yeah. Close to qualify for your 2000. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Close to qualify for 2002. Yeah. Actually, I read them recently um, yeah. for um, the Tartan magazine, which is um, mm. that edition is coming out later. And he gave me tours his time on a Sunday night, and I, he was just um, fantastic. It's a great guy. Absolutely brilliant. I just want to. I just want to go back to your your question about Matt Holland um, because it's a it's a very interesting point. I mean, Matt Holland was my my fiftieth show, um, and I can't speak highly of Matt. I think he's a, a wonderful player. My one of my best friends is an Ipswich Town fan. Um, we worked together. Um, was I don't know what name where I work, but uh, you know, fabulous guy, my friend, and and uh, you know, hoping to get married very soon. And uh, you know, I, I when I suggested to him that I was thinking of speaking with Matt Holland, I asked him what he thought, and he says. You know, in capital letters, it says, OMG, you should go for it. You know, I'm buzzing for it. And a week later, Matt was really up for it. And, you know, just to discuss his career, you know, you know, we, we obviously remember his time at Ipswich and, and, and Charlton. But, you know, as a Republic of Ireland internationalist, you know, he's an unbelievable player. I mean, we all remember that goal at the 2002 World Cup against, uh, against Cameroon. I mean, it's arguably... Certainly in recent times, probably one of the most iconic Republic of Irish goals. Um, fantastic guy. Um, as I said, a remarkable career. Uh, and just a really sound guy and a very humble guy. And what I really liked about him was the way he's kind of gone from his footballing path into the world of the media. And I really like that. And, you know, what I really like about him as well is how interested he is to to make the best of that opportunity and you don't feel that he's arrogant or cocky in any sort of way it's 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 very measured and i really like that and it was a real it was a real privilege to chat about so in answer to your question is where does what's matt my best i would say craig brown is in terms of people i've gone but matt would certainly be top five no question about that yeah as you say that was a that was a great um, podcast I listened to. Um, he just spoke so humbly. Um, you've got a few talk sport connections there. Cause Sam Arterface was on. Gary Bloom um, was on. You know, is that just was that just some that all linked together? Um, maybe speak to him. Maybe speak to him. Um, Gary Bloom's an interesting one. Um, you guys, dream team. Uh, I didn't actually, um, oh. which is a very interesting point. I wish I did, but um, but you mentioned Gary Bloom there and. Uh, you guys will remember the days of Gazetta Football Italia on Channel 4. You know, what, what wonderfully produced programme. Uh, you know, you've got the iconic James Richardson sitting in a cafe reading the Gazetta dello Sport. You've got the commentary team of Peter Brackley and Luther Blissett or people like Ray Wilkins, who's sadly no longer with us. You've got Gary Bloom, who's just a, a, a fantastic voice. You've got Ken Wollstoneholm, the late Ken Wollstoneholm, who just architected that discussion so well 
it was just a perfect Saturday morning show. Okay, it developed over time, of course, but and the Sunday live games and whatever. But it was a Saturday morning. I always remember Gazetta. And when I when I was list following Gary's career, I caught on to a podcast called On the Sporting Couch, which was all about you know professional sports players, not just footballers, but a range of different sports that have had difficulties, troublesome times, um, and how they've kind of succeeded as a result or, you know, during their times of, you know, you know, problems. And it was a very interesting side because sports psychotherapy is a niche brand of football or a, or a recent niche note of football, I should say. And that, for me, I thought was a little bit of a, a key moment because I thought not many people are going to get someone like Gary, who, by the way, as I think now, working at Oxford United uh, with um, Carl Robinson, is the manager there? Um, I think he's on their team. Uh, just to chat with Gary about his um, his own role as a as a sports psychotherapist. That was very fascinating for me, um, and I'm I, I think people should listen to that one because you know we all, regardless of whether we're in sport or not, especially at a time like this with with the coronavirus, it's very important to make sure we have a strong mental health. In in my opinion, you, you have to set up your day. Structurally, um, now that could be very easy or very difficult depending how you work. Um, for me, it's quite easy. I've always had um, a structure in my life um, because of a few things, uh, and basically because I've been such a driven and determined individual anyway. But I always believe that, you know, speaking with Gary, there, there's always been an, an interest in his own in his own journey. But you mentioned Talksport there. I mean, Talksport is a station which. I think gets slightly unwarranted criticism at times. Um, the first thing I say to people is if they don't want to listen to people on Talksport, just simply don't listen to it. Just listen to something else. Listen to Classic FM or something, which I do from time to time, by the way. That's a bit of a joke. Um, but regardless of Talksport, you know, these guys come on the show, and or the shows, I should say, and they have a blend of interests and, you know, points of view. And, you know, you mentioned Matt Holland. Obviously, Matt Holland has worked alongside people like Adrian Durham and that. Now, I, I listen to various shows on TalkSport, not every day, but now and again. Um, and don't get me wrong, there's there's a lot of discussions on there which I simply don't agree with. But it's always interesting to hear how they get to their points. And again, I go back to my PhD um, thought process here, because when you're doing a PhD, you're always told, if you have a point of view, make your point. Back it up with some form of evidence and then explain your reasons why. And in a way, media is like that. You have to kind of get into that mindset of saying, well, Bale should go to Manchester United for 40 million. Why should he go to, to Manchester United for 40 million? Because they've got injury problems on the left side of their team and, and they need they need someone to fill that gap. Bale's obviously played in the Premier League. So you get the, the reasoning for that. And you know, I speaking with people like Sam Marfis, um, you know, he's a guy in the commentary game that's evolved not just through Talksport, which he's made his own now, but he's had experience of working pe- working with people at ITV. You know, he's had um, the sort of impetus and ideas and experience of working with people like Clive Tilsley, who is an absolute legend. You know, I I think you know people are the first to slap Talksport in the face, and whilst I don't believe that it's fully 100% correct and, and, and not all stations I should mention should be. 
I do think everybody in the world of sports media and a range of other things should be allowed to make their point of view. And if you don't agree with it, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. But it's the way that people slap people in the face and say, oh, and do and do so, so much stuff on social media now. It, it just, it makes me absolutely sick to the skin, really. It's it's pathetic, really. It's quite interesting on that topic because I was watching the Bundesliga stuff at the weekend mm-hmm. and they were talking about Timo Werner. Obviously, they've got Owen Hargreaves on and they were talking about the Liverpool links because Klopp was supposedly interested in them. Yeah. Where would he fit in? Would he fit in? And all that type of thing. And then in the back of it, Owen Hargreaves said, oh, maybe he would fit in better at Man United. And mm. then it all came out, oh, Owen Hargreaves has got an agenda because he used to play for Man United. Mm. He tried to get Werner and a move to there. So. He's, just maybe, he's just making his own point of view. Um, and again, if you don't like, as I said to you there, if you don't like Owen Hargreaves, you know, don't listen. And I, 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 I'm up to admit myself, I'm a Manchester United fan. And, you know, I didn't really rate Owen Hargreaves as a player when he wasn't at Manchester United, but that's another story. But, you know, you mentioned Werner there. I mean, in my personal opinion, I think he should continue where he is at the moment. Um, why should he move to the English Premier League? Why not leave it a couple of years to develop as a player and then make the move to Liverpool? Because at the moment, in my personal opinion, is he going to get ahead of Salah, Firmino, Mane? I'm not, yeah. too, not sure he would. That was a point when Hardy was made. I'm not really sure he would. He, he might, in, you know... That front three as a combination have been outstanding for two seasons now, you know, and you know to break that the break that trio would be very very hard to do. It would, you know, I'm not a football manager. You guys have had some some great guests on in the past. You know, people like people all over the show like Kevin Harper, who's who's done a bit of management. You know, it's it's interesting to to see the dynamics within football and how they how they work because taking some someone out of your team and replace them somewhere else. He doesn't have the same connections. And, you know, whilst whilst Hargreaves has his opinion about it, I mean, my opinion is he should move to the Premier League anyway. Not at the moment. I think he should continue to learn his trade in Germany um, and maybe move 2022, something like that. You know, it's, you know, people were talking about Haaland recently at Dortmund, you know, moving to the Premiership. And, you know, I, I mean, I would love Haaland at Man United, but he's clearly not going to leave while he's banging them in for Dortmund, is he? No, definitely not. And uh, no, so this is the thing that the in the Premier League media. Um, I'm not going to name any individuals, um, <laughs> but you know, a lot of them have this um, mentality of, of you, can't, you can't, you're not anything until you've done something in the Premier League. Well, tell that to Lionel Messi. Tell that to yeah. you know. Tell that to Zinedine Zidane. Tell that to yeah. um, you know how many great players Ronaldinho. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it's um, the, the boys still playing at a very high level, yeah. and yeah. It's, no, just you... it's, I mean, English Premier is a good is a good league, but I do think it's also overhyped by them. And the... I agree. And just let's flip it the other way. Let's talk about English players. Would would someone like Matt Latissi, who I mentioned Matt Latissi because obviously Callum McFadden, a few former guest of years, have obviously had mm-hmm. Matt on his show. You know, if if that came about, the Matt. Letizia was one to go to Barcelona, for example. Now I'm, I'm thinking off the cup. You know, I, why would Matt Letizia want to? Make, make, obviously, that that the connection there of being at club for so long. Why would you want to leave? You know, you know, Messi has been has been, has done it so many times for Barcelona. In my opinion, is is I think a lot of people have this, this discussion between who's better between Ronaldo and Messi. For me, Messi is the better team player. And Ronaldo is the better individual player. You know, how, how often have we seen Ronaldo score so many great individual goals? Um, Messi scored a couple of great individual goals, but as a team player, 
he's so dynamic the way remember when Iniesta and Xavi were there and, and people like Busquets and Villa and people like that Eto and all that Messi was the link in that team and you know the, you, you make a very interesting point about the English media I, I, I believe the English Premiership everybody's saying it's the greatest league in the world but it's full of money it's, it's full of money and quite a lot of it is foreign players you know and I wonder, I want, I want to sort of explain this back to you guys in a way. After the coronavirus, you know, will we see a lot more youth coming through the systems at these clubs in England? Uh, like we might see in Scotland, I don't know. But it, it, it's certainly going to be fascinating because a lot of foreign players are going to be really thinking twice about travelling over to play for a, for a British club post-coronavirus, especially with what has gone on across the world. You know, it's definitely an interesting point about the youth setup. I think you'll see a you'll see a lot less movement of players. I would think mm-hmm. to begin mm-hmm. with, um, as well. I can't see that happening much. Transfer fees are obviously going to be reduced. Uh, we've touched on the fact as well. I think was it last week or within the last couple of weeks? Well, squad caps maybe come into place. Salary caps. Um, as teams try and cut their cloth as well. So, Man United have announced losses of twenty eight million pounds. Yeah, I saw that as well. So it's. Even suffering big clubs like that. Mm. Very interesting times, that's for sure. And I think the the the, the next few weeks post once we're back playing, whenever we get back playing safely, I, I should underline and bold by the way, because um, I don't think. And this is another big problem. I think the the Premier League have been very much let's finish at all costs. Well, that's all very well and understandable. But safety has to be the number one priority in a situation like this. I think I was speak- I was listening to Chris Sutton on on Five Live the other day, and you know, at a time like this when you know, I think on current figures today in the UK, I think it was about thirty-seven thousand people have died from COVID nineteen, and that number is still continuing to rise. You know, I do think that we have to be seriously very careful of, you know, not missing out on the important issue here which is people's health and safety uh, and not just football players we're talking management staff we're talking about the people that have to work to make sure that closed door games are played you know that's going to be key and i think we talked obviously about the bundesliga there you know how they have adapted so far has been very very interesting you know i think i saw somewhere in the in the news last week that some of the figures uh, were less than an episode of midsummer murders on itv you know, that's the danger that the Premier League could be in in the next couple of months if things go in this direction. And that's my biggest worry. And, you know, don't get me wrong, as a, as a Manchester United fan, I don't want Liverpool to win anything. But they've been the class of the league this season and you cannot deny them the league title. But the fact of the matter is they have to be given the opportunity to play it in a safe manner and if that means leaving it four weeks later than the initial date then that's absolutely fine I think Conor McNamara said the same thing on the the Score NI podcast with Michael Clark in Northern Ireland which I listen to quite a lot and I think he's absolutely banging the money yeah I think this is the big problem is that you know a lot of a lot of um, football decisions is getting based on money I mean for me the Scottish um, Premier League has been decided on this uh, TV contract kicks off um, in, in August with Sky um, and I think the Premier League again is just um, going down 
the same route. I mean, they've obviously got the the attitude of, well, we're getting the money fr- from TV. We don't we don't need it through the supporters. We'll just then get us finished as soon as possible. Whereas obviously up here, it's almost opposite because we rely too much on um, rely more on fans coming in, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, but the danger is because this TV deal, I think. I think we went in too hasty um, to to say the league, if you want my honest opinion. I think it could have been played later on, and maybe even if you just half the season next season, which they're already talking about doing in the lower divisions anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. But but that's just me going off on a tangent. Even as well, you're looking at, was it Spain? It wasn't so long ago that in Spain you weren't even allowed out unless it was going to the shop within like 100 metres, a kilometre or something like that. Whereas right, the football sets are turning the 8th of June. Yeah, that's right. I've got a couple of friends in Spain and it's uh, been very tough for them. Yeah. yeah, I've got a couple of friends there as well. And I, they, were, they, they weren't even allowed out the house until I think a week passing Saturday or something like that. That was the first right, they were allowed yeah. out properly yeah. to get exercise or do anything. Mm-hmm. So it seems very rushed again. But again, it just comes down to the fact that it's big money business. That, that's Absolutely. what it comes down to, unfortunately. 100%, 100%. As opposed 100%. to thinking about health. Was it the Premier? Yeah. Cup, uh, is it a Bournemouth player or something like that? It's tested positive recently, or Burnley? Yes, yes. It was the last couple of days and that. Um, very difficult situation. You really want White to be the one that was in charge of it all, but yeah, unfortunately, it's a business as opposed to thinking about maybe priority of health. And it's interesting that the leagues that don't have as much money right now, like the Scottish Premiership is obviously an example, and further down is an even bigger example. Um, in England, League 2 has been called, League 1 should be getting called. They're actually thinking about the, the same. The Championship will be interesting because obviously they've got that, there's a lot at stake there. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously, UEFA are desperate for the Champions League to finish. UEFA are desperate for Europa League to finish. Uh, it's, I just think too often TV bosses are just trying to um, still interfere when they should be taking a, a back step say there's no football no football should be getting played anytime soon people's health comes first and it has to wait to August it waits to August yeah I think one thing as well that's very important in a situation like this especially in the Scottish game and I think I was listening to the, the Totally Scottish Football Show with uh, Andrew Slavin and JJ Bull who were speaking about this in a situation like this we talked about the financial side you know it is absolutely paramount that all clubs remain in existence once this COVID-19 passes, because, you know, we've, we've heard, I think it was Elgin City, wasn't it, that were one club in particular that were struggling financially. Um, we are going to lose clubs in this. I, I, I'm, I'm sad, to, sad to say this, but I think we might see a few clubs go out of business out of this. And that would be, you know, quite frankly, a disgrace. Um, you know, but how, how can we, how could we sort that? You know, could the government step in and do a bit more? I don't know. Um, can the SPFL step in and do something? The SFA? I'm not sure. I really don't know the answer. But I do think that there should have been something in place to help, certainly the teams at the lower end of the Scottish League, and I'm just talking the Scottish League specifically here, mm-hmm. help them get through this. Because you know we've already seen in the past, you know, some clubs go into administration in Scotland uh, and and you know really struggle to to kind of keep going. Probably the problem in Scotland is you've not got maybe the situation with Balagoon, but going back to Germany, it wasn't so long ago there was like teams struggling and the likes of Bayern Munich and Dortmund helped them out. Yes. By kind of giving money down down the leagues, whereas in Scotland there's not so much of it. You don't really have Celtic. I do think Rangers would be in a position to help out other clubs. It might be though when football maybe returns whether the bigger clubs can 
friendlies and different things like that or other ways that they can maybe do things but mm. difficult in Scotland I think the problem as well guys is that we are in you know it's a, it's a cliched phrase now isn't it because it's been branded about but these are unprecedented times we're in and I mentioned on this podcast earlier on that I play long bowls of sport and after a certain period in a match you know there is events so if there's inclement weather or you know someone's had an unfortunate accident or something and the game has had to be abandoned or you know declare the result after surface formula one has got it you know golf's got it after 72 rounds why doesn't football have something like this in place you know you know i i cannot understand how there isn't something in black and white or, or or certainly close to that in there and what for me is very interesting you know, because I've got a bit of an affiliation with some junior league clubs and I, I follow a lot of people who play junior football, is that there has been a real inconsistency uh, across how leagues have been called. You know, I, I think the junior leagues have null and voided. Even the junior setup has been a real mess, hasn't it? Because, you yeah. know, often like Talbot were crowned champions and I think they still had seven or eight games in hand, which I thought was quite frankly extraordinary. Aye. Uh, yeah, the West Region, they decided to declare the league. Yeah. I, I know where. The North Region, I think, decided null and void. Yeah, well, it was not on void. Yeah, but but, uh, from Maguire, obviously. I believe Bank City were not very happy about that decision. So there was going to be an appeal. Now, I don't know the outcome of that appeal. I, I hasten to, to answer if that has been changed. I don't think it has, but I'm not, don't, don't quote me on that. But I believe that that was null and voided. But there's, it's, it's, it's just a bit of a mess. And I think... You know, you guys have already seen the, the mess that's happening in the Scottish League with, you know, Hearts being relegated and obviously Dundee United Cove and that have gone up. And, you know, the fact that the problem is now you, you have Hearts possibly not in a league at all because of what might go on. But the, the bigger gripe for me in all this is the fact that neither Brewer Rangers nor Kelty Hearts are at least going to get the opportunity to get into League Two. Why? Why I cannot understand the, why they cannot get that opportunity. And, and don't get me wrong, I like Brecon City as a club. I've had Mark Wilson on my own podcast. I, I like Mark; he's an absolutely topper of a guy. Great player at Celtic. Great career he had. But even he, in his heart of hearts, should be able to admit that you know your bottom of League Two. You know, okay, you may have had five or six games to to, to get out of trouble, but you know that's hypothetical. The fact of the matter is, we're bottom before this is finished. You know. Quite frankly, they should have been waiting on the winner of that Kelty Brora playoff. Now they may have won the playoff and they kept their status, and that if they if they were to do so, congratulations to them. But in my opinion, they should have been waiting to see who won that match between Kelty and Brora Rangers. And for that to not happen is an absolute disgrace to those clubs because it just completely disregards the pyramid system. It doesn't, in my opinion, give progressive clubs like Kelty and Brora the opportunity to step up. In a, in a fair manner. Um, but it, that, that for me is the biggest gripe I have on all of us. You know, Celtic being crown challenged, I know Rangers have had a lot of complaints about things, I know Hearts have been unhappy. The biggest gripe for me is, is Kelty and Bruin not getting the opportunity to go up to League 2 in all this. In my personal opinion, I, I just think it's it's really, really sad. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Because, um, and I noticed that uh, Dave McKinnon, the Morton chair, uh, chief executive, um, put up the suggestion to PLZ Soccer. Um, says that he put up the suggestion that the two of them had um, their one-off playoff just at a neutral venue rather than the two-legged affair. And then mm. the winner play breaking just a couple of days later in a neutral venue, and then obviously whoever wins that 
gets the last place and then you could start the league season. But the reason that was vetoed was because effectively the playoffs above um above them were discarded as well. It's yeah. as we said before, it's just um too much self interest. It's been home back Scottish football for for so long. I mean the the reason why they're they're not wanting reconstruction in the top flight just now is because in the new TV contract, have, they would have to share that mm-hmm. amongst 14 teams instead of 12. And it's the same further down when that TV deal filters down. They don't want to let Pickel and Brora up. And yeah. um, I think, who, who was it that made the point? Um, I think Barry Ferguson made the point and Aaron in our podcast made the point. I think a lot of them are scared um, of the threat. And when we had Kevin Harper on before um, he left his job at Albion Rovers, he admitted that the likes of Cove and Edinburgh City and possible Kelty is a is a big big challenge mm-hmm. yeah yeah no I agree with that and I, I think I think it's a very I think Scottish football have tried to be too clever in all this you know I I simply believe that you know it was a very very complex situation anyway you know the reconstruction thing was completely at the wrong time for me in terms of discussion you know especially in a situation like this you know, I think clubs like Dundee United, Cove, Wraith Rovers, who won their yeah, Wraith Rovers who won their respective leagues. Was it Wraith who won their respective leagues? It was it was Wraith, wasn't it? One League One. Wraith won League One. Yeah, 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 yeah sorry, I'm behind you. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Sorry, I was just clarifying. I somehow thought Eardley, but sorry, never mind. Congrats to them winning the leagues. Now they should be making that step up, but to, it, it's such a complex problem. It's like. You know, it's like it's like that great Elton John song, Honky Cat. You're trying to find gold in a silver mine. It's it's just not gonna work. You know, it's just it's just an absolute minefield. And you know, I I cannot see any winner. Well, I can see a lot of losers in this situation, and I can't see an awful lot of winners apart from Celtic, who you know you know look like they've won nine in a row. You know, some Rangers fans won't agree with what I say there, and it's eight and a half or eight point seven five. But you know, <laughs> you know, my my thoughts on that was I I think Rangers shot themselves in the foot since January. You know, once they won at Celtic Park, they were in the box seat. I felt I felt they had the momentum, but Celtic had the points to board and. You know, you hear that great old um, saying, you'd rather have points on the board than games in hand. Uh, and what did Rangers do after they come back after the winter break? They did exactly the same as the previous season. They, they went on a poor run um, and Celtic stretched away again. And, you know, what I really liked about that was the way that Celtic were so ruthless and so consistent and focused about, OK, we're in a scrap here. We need to dig in. And, and they got over the line and, and they, they really made it a success. Rangers fans, you know, you know we always talk about, you know, Stephen Gerrard celebrating too early, but even the most ardent Rangers fan, if they really thought about this, would have been looking at the table and saying, you know what, we've shot ourselves in the foot. It's our own mess we've got ourselves into to be, what, 12, 13 points behind? You know, that that is their own fault. You know, they were at Aberdeen, they were 2-0 up and only got a point. They lost at home against Hamilton. You know, they've lost against Kilmarnock. You know, these are games that if Rangers wanted to win that league that year, they should have been winning. 100%, no questions asked. Especially the game, especially the game against Hamilton. You know, when you've got Hamilton at home in Ibrox, that should be a routine home win. To lose that one 0 was an absolute disgrace, in my opinion. Um, now, whether Europe had an effect, I don't know. Uh, it shouldn't have done. Um, you know, I think they've had a lot of problems in house with the Morello situation, etc. But you know, 
it's 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 been a weird season because you know, Celtic won the League Cup final and they were totally outplayed. Rangers should have won that final. I mean, Fraser Forster was a brick wall that game. It's the best goalkeeper performance I've seen in a long, long time. You know, you for the Rangers League, you've got inconsistent performances by Aberdeen. You know, Motherwell have played quite well. Hearts, we know their problems. But then the bomb, Livingston have been a, a real success story and, and, and they've done well. And, but apart from that, a lot of other teams have really had inconsistent seasons or, you know, when they've been struggling, they've pulled a result out of nowhere. And I, I look at a team like Ross County as a result, as a team, for example, do that. Hamilton, I just mentioned. It's It's been a weird season. And, and this whole saga is, is, is just so weird. But as I said, I, I don't know where the correct solution is. I don't think that is one, quite frankly. Yeah, they were always, no matter what they did, there was there was always going to be upset. But um, you know, we're obviously at where we're at now. But I'll move back on to um, the success of Campbell's footballs. Um, you know, it's not even just been you know your um, high-end commentators or high-end players like Matt Holland and, and managers like Craig Brown. You've also delved into the Highland League, um, which I understand is a big passion because obviously you're from the northeast. Um, you had Paul Lawson on as we did, and you've had um. Is, it's Mark Kerry, the Fraserburgh? Mark Kerry's Fraserburgh, yeah. And, and uh, Scott M- and Mackay. The Stephen Mackay. Stephen Mackay. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's it been like interviewing um, these characters? Um, fantastic. Um, the Highland League is full of characters. Um, and I got the idea from working with uh, former Ellen United manager Stephen Main. Uh, Stephen was a player at, at, at Fraserburgh uh, and indirectly has been a big um, part of my success. Um, along with many other people and I, I want to mention I forgot to mention this earlier on uh, to my great friend Gavin Craw who is uh, based in Hong Kong now and um, he was one of the main guys who helped me to kind of come up with the Campbell's football's brand etc but back to the back to your question um, I think these guys have you know they've played the game at this level you know, you know people like Mark Cowie have, have played for the club you know they've went around the Highland League clubs and then gone into management Steve Mackay was at Ross County, played with people like Mark Hately. He maybe listened to that one. You know, the, the, you know, he's he's had interesting career. He's he's pitted wits against Ali McCoist when he was manager at Rangers. You know, he's had the disappointment of losing the the playoff against Montrose. Um, that was really interesting. And, and Paul Lawson, you know, I've had I've got an affiliation in a way with for Martin United, one of my great pals, Paul Anderson, uh, who I, I like to mention. Um, Paul invited me to earlier this year before Coronavirus struck to go and watch. For Martin at home to Bucky Thistle. Um, very kind of him. Paul's a great mate of mine and, and a really nice guy. We chat a lot on social media. Um, it wasn't the greatest of games, um, but for Martin won it 2-1 with an exquisite goal from Connor Gethins. Um, you know, I, I think when you go to grounds like around the Highland League, you get to appreciate the, 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 the sort of family connections and friendly connections, but also the rivalry was on the pitch as well. There's a, it's, it's a good battle. It's a, it's a good... Um, it's a good watch in that sense. The quality in terms of the, you know, tiki taka one touch passing, it's okay. It might not be there, but there's there's blood, sweat, and tears on a pitch every ninety minutes. There's no doubt about that. There's some big carriers. You know, I, I, I've, I've mentioned Stephen Main there, who, who who was the manager at Ellen United, but people like Russell McBride, who've been at Fraserburgh. You know, Neil Main uh, uh, is Stephen's brother, you know, all Fraserburgh guys. And, you know, we mentioned Mark Cowie there. And, you know, he's had a terrific job at, at Fraserburgh. And, you know, to win two trophies that they've done this season is absolutely fantastic stuff. And, you know, the fact that Mark Cowie's also managed his team against Rangers um, in that um, iconic Scottish Cup tie, which, albeit they lost 3-0, but they certainly put in a good performance. Um, it's fantastic. And the great thing about it is, 
when you speak to these guys, you 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 automatically feel a warmth there that you you automatically know that other friends that you know know of them, and that's what makes it Campbell's football is unique in that sense because it connects people in a way that maybe didn't connect to you in some way beforehand, which is which is unique in a in a big big way. Um, and what about the, um, your approach when you have a guest on um, in general? Um, I notice that you like to like your guest speak, but what um, have you got a particular style? I like to ask. Um, for, I also I always like to start by asking how they're doing during these times. I mean, at the moment we've we've no football, of course, so automatically I would start into their careers and stuff. So I'm having to replace that at the moment with you know how are they coping through COVID nineteen? How are they you know adapting to the new norms, so to speak? And then one of my sort of first questions I always like to ask is, what made them go into football in the first place? Because I think that's a very important question because you don't just step into football by accident. You know, you've either got connections within the football, either your, your dad has played the game or your granda has played the game, or you've had a group of pals, you know, they got together every Saturday at three o'clock in a pub to look at the football scores on, on TV. And that's an interesting starter. I think it's a nice icebreaker. And then... I go into inspirations because I think all football fans, you guys included, uh, myself included, um, have got inspirations in football, games that they, you know, made them fall in love with football from the beginning. Um, so that's very important. Uh, and then I just like to go through their careers in terms of the, the the kind of chronologically, but also pull out a few snippets as well. Like if we're talking ex-pros, for example, about, you know, guys that they've played with, managers they've played under, what was training like, uh, who were the guys that like to take the mick in the dressing room or, you know, were very measured in their approach, very serious, the nights out. Not Simon Ferry-style-esque, but you know what I mean? It, 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 I like to try and be as well-rounded as possible. Um, I do want my um, guests to predominantly tell their story because I always say to people, this pop, Campbell's Footballs, albeit is my brand and name, isn't about me. It's about my guests and their journeys. And... That will always be the case, no matter where you come from in the footballing game. Now, you know, I think that has to be commended. But I also think as well that, you know, it allows my guests to be as expressive as they want to be. And surely that can only be a good thing because you might get stories that you might not be able to have got if there was a more rigid structure, if you know what I mean. Um, and I like that dyna- dynamicism. So that's that's the sort of main part of that. And usually if there's football on, I would then kind of go through the match of the weekend, give my prediction, and ask my guests to battle out in my predictions challenge. And if they won, they would get Campbell's Football's mug. Although I've run out of mugs, but I've recently got a new batch that's come in this week, so I might get a few more out. Um, but you know, if they lose, I obviously get to keep it. So it's a little bit like the it's a little bit like the you know the beat the pundit on the Clyde Super Scoreboard. Uh, you know, the, the programme hosted by Gordon Duncan, a previous guest I've had on the show. Um, you know, you, you, you get in the battle between yourself and, and Hugh Keevans or Gordon DL or people like, uh, well, I mentioned uh, Mark Wilson, didn't I? Um, so you get that element as well. And it keeps people entertained. And, you know, I like to think that even if Campbell's Fools doesn't make the grand heights as it could be, because there's a northeast connection and because there's an interest there and because these mugs are quite... You know, they're quite unique in a way. You know, not many people are going to have them. You know, 
I like to think that, you know, somewhere down the line, people will look back on that and says, do you remember when you used to do this, you know? We went up on eBay. <laughs> Absolutely. It'll be, it'll be oh, might, might come back to me. They'll <laughs> <laughs> be, be well sought uh, with that. You, you spoke, you, you can tell you're a really passionate guy about kind of football, so what instilled your passion in football? What are your early memories yourself? My, one of my biggest early memories um, was going to Pataudry uh, in 1998. It was my first game. A little bit later than a lot of people. You know, a lot of people have gone to the games when they were four or five. I, I, my first Aberdeen game was when I was seven. Um, I went with my dad and my now late grandfather, who sadly passed away last year. Um, and it was a very nice uh, time. We sat in the Merklin stand end. It was Aberdeen against St Johnston. Um, I still remember the game. Uh, I still remember watching back on sports scene afterwards just to see where we were in the crowd. Um, and it was quite an interesting game because St Johnston took the lead. Um, I think it was John O'Neill who scored for St Johnston. Um, and the I think Aberdeen. Well, I think it was two. There was two or three things that I remember from the game. Firstly, I'm pretty no, sure no, it was 2000 that game. Sorry, I'm 2000, sure. Sorry, 2000. Sorry, 2000. Big Sorry, 2000. Big part. Not 98. I don't know why I said 98. 2000. Uh, so I was. So I was nine. Sorry, um, you can tell I've lost the plot. Anyway, let's move on. Um, so, well, St. Johnson took the lead 1 0. Um, and then, what I remember in the game is I'm pretty sure Aberdeen scored a penalty. And uh, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure it was Ian Jess that scored a penalty, I think. But what had happened was I, I'm pretty sure Stephen Frail had handballed it. Now, I'm pretty sure Stephen Frail played for Hearts once upon a time. Yeah, so it was 1 1. And uh, I know that Alan Main was in goal for St Johnston. Uh, he was having a fabulous game in between the sticks for the Saints. Um, the, the other thing I remember is, I think it was midway through the first half, Jim Layton went to clear the ball and cleared it right over the Marklund stand uh, roof. And my granda turned to me and just said, it's gone. <laughs> and that's all I said, it's gone. And I turned around and said, the fans going to get the ball back. And of course, I didn't realise obviously at the time that there was ball kids and stuff like that, so there was always a ball handy. But it was quite funny nonetheless, and I was always thinking, oh, where's the ball? Can we not get it back or something? Anyway, I, anyway, I remember, I think Robbie Winters got the winning goal, didn't he? And, yeah. and, and Aberdeen won the game 2-1. Um, so that's one memory. Um, another memory I have, I went to another Aberdeen game with my, with my dad and my granda, um, just a little bit later on. Um, Aberdeen were playing Dundee United. Don's won the game 2-1. Not a great first half at all. Absolutely horrendous first half. Um, Dundee United um, opened the scoring early in the second half. Um, down at the Richard Donald end. And, and then Aberdeen equalised. I can't remember the scorers. But what I do remember is I know that the winning goal came from the penalty spot. Uh, and to this day, I still laugh about this. Uh, God bless my, my grandfather who's passed away. The penalty was awarded. And some guy, about two rows in front of us, just stood up. Uh, I just wasn't sitting down. Of course, we were kind of looking around saying, can you move so we can see the penalty? And my, my granddad shouted, Oi, sit down so we can see the penalty. I thought this guy was going to absolutely uh, give my granddad the what for, you know. Obviously, the penalty goes in the back of the net, so Aberdeen go 2-1 up. Uh, I don't think the guy spoke to us again during the game. He was quite chatty during the game, I think, uh, to my dad. Uh, but just this incident just 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 seemed to you know rile up in some way. It was was quite extraordinary. Uh, anyway, I already won the game two one. But that's my sort of early memories following Aberdeen, so to speak. Um, in terms of watching games on TV, um, you know, just following match of the day, kind of growing up. You know, I've always been a big fan of people like Alan Hansen and Mark. I was certainly Alan Hansen on match of the day, growing up. Um, not so much Mark Lawrenson, but that's just a personal taste. Um, 
I always found Alan Hansen to be no nonsense. Always about making sure that Aber- eh, teams were solid defensively. Uh, you know, obviously, you've got Gary Lineker who's made that show his own. Um, but you know, just listening to commentaries um, really kind of got me into football. You know, people like I, me- I mentioned Clive Tilsley earlier on. People like Martin Tyler, John Motson, uh, Ron McLean, who's one of my Scottish heroes. Um, I was delighted to have him on Campbell's Footballs. If not, was that one? Please do. Um, but these guys voices you know they just installed within me because growing up i in a way i i i wanted to be a commentator in a, in, a, in a separate life you know i always used to one of the greatest stories i used to i used to tell a lot of people is i used to have marbles or little balls you get out of hungry hippos you know the you know the old hungry hippos game and i would set up and this is this is god's truth i would used to set up old vhs tapes as the goals or the surrounds of the football pitch. It was just on a carpet, and I would have a pencil and this marbles, and my hands would be the goalkeepers, and I, or my hand would be one player, and my hand would be the goalkeeper. And I always try to impersonate commentary from certain commentator during a, a game, and I would always use my hands to, you know, impersonate headers or or shots from distance and stuff like that. And that, it's quite a funny story. It's, it's so so true. And I, I don't know, but I'm, I, I, you know. People thought I was being a bit silly and whatever and, you know, speaking to myself on that. And that's because they've engrossed within me in my life. And, you know, I'm passionate about these guys because they do it for a living and they do a great job at it. You know, people, we mentioned Guy Mowbray earlier on. You know, these guys put a lot of work into preparing for games. You know, you know the amount of work that they do to, to prepare for Liverpool against Manchester United or Celtic against Aberdeen. You know, you cannot deny the passion that these guys have and how much work they put into it. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. And that was my dream. And, and obviously, obviously it was well, certainly growing up. It wasn't going to happen. And you know, I've moved into the science world and, you know, I've done well there. And, you know, that's kind of what I enjoy as well as doing this, but you know, that's kind of run, run through in a way. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's good fun. It's a good story to tell that one because, uh, you know, it still makes me smile. <laughs> I definitely. So from uh, your early kind of memories of watching Aberdeen, who were your early heroes growing up? Um, games? Undoubtedly, Russell Anderson was one of my heroes. Um, to see the great man win the League Cup in 2014 um, was... Un- yeah, it's, a, it's the biggest accolade you could give the guy. He was an absolute professional for Aberdeen. Well, his heart in his sleeve. Um, you know, I think a lot of people slightly underestimated him for a period. But I thought he was a brilliant player. And had he not had the injuries he had, I think he would have definitely had it. You know, he would have got more caps for Scotland, no question about it. I, I think he would have played at a top, top level. I don't think he'd have been Aberdeen uh, for a long time. Um, Ian Jess, obviously, was outstanding. You know, he could orchestrate a game from the field. He was brilliant. Um, more recently, uh, or certainly growing up, um, one of my first names I got on the back of any Aberdeen strip was Arnold Stavron. Um, which is which, which is quite amazing to people, and, and people will be amazed me saying that. But you know, the the, the big Norwegian fella, he, he 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 scored a few goals, didn't he? He was he was a he was a bit of a he was a bit of an enigma. I, I used to rage about the amount of times he was getting caught offside, um, but he scored a lot of goals. And uh, you know, let, let's let's not beat about the bush. He was you know for a long time one of Aberdeen's top scorers as a striker. You know, there's a period where Aberdeen had very few strikers. Uh, that were scoring goals. I mean, we went through players like Lauren Chaffo and Leon Mike and, you know, Pass people Benelli. like that. Yeah, yeah. John Stewart. I mean, I like these guys. You know, they, they obviously tried their best on that. But, 
it didn't happen for them. And and what I liked about Stavlin is he was he was different, he was passionate, and he scored the odd goal or two. And you know, uh, it was very interesting. In fact, we, we talked about memories earlier on. One memory I do remember uh, when Seattle didn't play Motherwell. Um, I mentioned this on my podcast with Craig Brown. Motherwell was three one up uh, at Pataudry. Uh, I believe it. Pretty good in this game. Um, and the guy, I can't remember his first name, but uh, you guys will probably remember the boy Durocco that Alex played up Durocco. front. Oh, Alex yeah. Durocco. He he scored, um, I think it was the, the single. Stavron got the equaliser to make it 1-1. But Motherwell went through one up, and I can't remember the Motherwell scores. Anyway, time was reaching 90 minutes, and Aberdeen had pulled the goal back to make it 3-2. This was just touching 90 minutes. My dad was nudging me, saying, we need to beat the traffic, we better go. We're sitting in the Merkel and then, so... Growing up, listen to my dad, we, we, we go. And we're walking around the back of the main stand. And, of course, back in the day, no, no phone, no social media, etc. So, obviously, we need to get back to the car to listen to the you know, sports sound with Richard Gordon on the, on the, on the, the ride home. Uh, we're walking past the main stand, and this big cheer gets up. And I, I, I dad says, oh, there's been a goal. And I says, and, and, of course, I was just shaking my head. And I didn't know what to say. So, we got back to the car. Um, and of course it was three each Aberdeen had got themselves a league guys. and to this day I still remind them that I will never leave a football game early ever again even if my team are getting absolutely thrashed you know I've been to see Aberdeen play St Johnston a couple of years ago under Derek McInnes' tenure uh, St Johnston won 5-1 um, and you know St Johnston were superb that day absolutely superb that day uh, my great friend Colin Ramsey um, was with me shout out to Colin if he's listening and uh very, very poor performance by Aberdeen, but it's it, it, it a reminder to me that Motherwell game to, to never to never leave an early game again. Um, sorry to divert from that. So, was there any other players that I could think of? Um, more recently, uh, people like Graham Shinney, um, you know, passion for the shirt, really brilliant. But in terms of personal connections, you know, Adam Rooney is high up my list, uh, notably because he, he lived in Ellen uh, for a good period of time. Uh, he also follows me on Instagram, which is uh, an absolute delight. Um, and you know because he lives in Ellen and because I've actually shared a drink with Adam uh, in my local pub um, note, note I was sober at this point when I say this um, a, a really down to earth guy and you know he scored a lot of goals and I I cannot understand why some Aberdeen fans criticised Adam Rooney when he was at, at the Dons because he was a goal scorer and he needed the service to score goals you know when he was in when he was in that team with Johnny Hayes and Niall McGinn he was a brilliant player. You know, the, the service he was getting was sensational. But towards the latter, I think he was being played more out wide to accommodate, I think it was uh, Good Willie, you know, when uh, Derek brought him in. And I, I could tell that that wasn't working. Um, you know, obviously, people like Ryan Christie came into the club and you could just sense that maybe Adam's time at, at Aberdeen was, was drawing to a, to a close, which was a shame because you know, I, I still to this day believe that He's one of Aberdeen's most important players in history. Of course, he scored the, the, the League Cup winning penalty, of course, in 2014. So probably those guys um, come to mind. Um, if I'm talking a goalkeeper, I'll finish up with a goalkeeper. Uh, undoubtedly Jim Layton. Undoubtedly Jim Layton. And if you talk about memories, I've just got another one just now. One of my first memories is, uh, is a really sad one, is watching the Scottish Cup final from 2000 uh, when Aberdeen were playing Rangers. And I still say to this day that you know, obviously it was never going to be a red card, but I still believe, you know, with my red tinted glasses on that Rod Wallace should have seen red um, for that incident with Jim Lane. Now, obviously it's a 50-50 ball and, you know, as a genuine football fan, it, it, it wasn't a it wasn't a, it wasn't a red card, it wasn't even a booking, but, you know, 
I was absolutely upset when that happened, and it was a rotten way for for Jim to, to finish his career with with that in, or finish that time with that incident, I should say. And uh, you know, the, Aberdeen had lost the cup final inside the first four minutes through no fault of their own, not by conceding, but just by a, a horrible injury. Yeah, what and um, was the the salt that um, in the wind of that injury was that a few days later the SFA changed the rule from um, three subs to five at a time when Italy I think had moved on to seven we're obviously in the um, seventh house so yeah yeah, um, that's right because I think they had to make two substitutes in that game because didn't Rashid Balaben pull up with an injury in first half stoppage time and I think there was about nine minutes of injury time at the end of the first half it was Russell Anderson did his knee ligament in that game in a challenge just before the first goal Um, so Balaben came on for him and then we made one other sub in the second half because we we were allowed three, but we we took the risk of putting no keeper on the bench, and yeah. and then we've also got Robbie Watterson go. Um, yeah. Robbie did okay, but um, you could it was just about keeping the score down, unfortunately. And Rangers were a decent side at the at the time under uh, Dick Advocat. So um, yeah, what's been your favourite moments watching um, Aberdeen? Uh, my favourite moments at watching Aberdeen, um, you know, there's so many. Um, but in terms of being at the games, one of my greatest memories is the second leg against Rayeka. Um, well, obviously, the one at 3 0 over there. I don't travel a lot to watch Aberdeen games, I must admit that. Um, that's through a personal choice. Um, I love to go to more away games, uh, and I'm a very busy guy. But I, I've been to a lot of home games, and one particular that particular season, I went with uh, a great friend of mine, Fraser Mearns, and his dad, uh, Ron. A big shout out to those guys as well. Um, it was it was an interesting game because Rayeka went 2-0 up um, and one of these guys was right behind us he says uh, <laughs> um, he was he, he was uh, not very happy at, at ourselves because we were a bit frustrated that Aberdeen were giving the ball away quite a lot and this guy shouts out from out and saying calm dude boys it's only 1-0 and then 60 seconds later the ball went in the back of the net and Joe Lewis was beaten it was 2-0 and the guy turned round to boy and says Hi, it's now one nil now, is it? <laughs> so, so quite uh, <laughs> really says, "If you got a problem, this is." And, and uh, I think it was, I think it was Ron. So this is, I got a problem. And then just seconds later, it was two one, and everything was forgotten about. And that's the great thing about being with Aberdeen fans; they're so passionate about their team, and they get frustrated um, for periods. But you know, when there's a goal, everybody is together as a as a as a as a support. Um, other moments, I've been to I've been to Pittori when Aberdeen beat Celtic, um, you know, two one, um, the game that Paul Quinn got the goal. Um, you know, it was a, a weird game because I I still can't believe to this day Johnny Hayes was sent off. Um, I thought Craig Thompson made a, a a poor call, but that was the period for me of regret for Aberdeen because that season should have been their chance to win the league. Um, I think they they should have done a little bit like what um, Leicester. Um, obviously, well, it would have been it would have been up there with the the Leicester season in the in the English league. Same Yes, it was exactly the same season. And my concern there was I felt in January the board weren't ambitious enough because that was the chance to to, to stop the old firm dominance. Uh, you know, obviously Rangers were obviously down the leagues and, and and Celtic had, in my opinion, still to this day one of their poorest managers in the history of Celtic football club. And Aberdeen. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna mince my word, words here. They, they they kind of threw it away, and I don't know if it was that lack of belief, or the you know you could put it down to the fact that Celtic were very strong in the, in that last sort of seven or eight games. But 
it was a very poor Celtic team. And when Aberdeen won that game, did they not go eight points clear after that 2-1 game at, at, at Pataudry? Correct me if I'm I think wrong. It, I think it was five. Um, yeah. I think they got as far as five and then they went on a horrendous run where they That's right. drew one and lost four um, mm. in the period of October, which, um, no, pretty Celtic then obviously kicked on from there. Yeah. We after that to the second two one game when Simon Church scored, we were back in it again. We're like three That's points. Right. But the defining moment was when Tom Rogic scores a scream of a last minute winner at Kilmarnock in March, which takes That's right. seven points clear, and we lost it all the same day. Absolutely, Tom Rogic. Well, Rogic has always been the scourge of, of uh, Aberdeen, no question about it. And he's a swear well, word on here. Well, I call him the scourge of Aberdeen, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, when you talk about memories of watching Aberdeen, I have a great recent memory. Unfortunately, it's again not a very good one. Uh, the 2017 Scottish Cup final, I was at New Hills oh. Bowling Club um, watching uh, Bonacord against Aberdeen and Concordia, who are two big teams in the bowling circle. Um, you know, they were fine. It was a bit of a rivalry there, but that's a side story. I was watching the game in the bar at New Hills Bowling Club with a, with a few bowling friends. And when Aberdeen went 1-0 up, you know, we're, we're, we're obviously dreaming. And then obviously Stuart Armstrong makes it 1-1. And to this day, I still remember the Tom Rogic goal in slow motion. Um, and I still cannot believe how easy it was for Rogic to just breeze past both O'Connor and Considine for the, for the winning goal. And it's so sad. I because for that. So do I. So do I. Um, you know, I, I, Considine's legs are gone as well, but I, I still believe it was a. It's, it's, it's for me. The, the, the tournament that got away from Derek McInnes. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm the first to admit. And, and people who know me uh, will say this in, in correctness of me, that I'm one of Derek McInnes' biggest critics. And that, for for me, my biggest criticism of Derek McInnes is the whole only won one trophy in his tenure as Aberdeen manager, for me, is a bit of a disappointment. And that Scottish Cup final in 2017 still irks with me a lot because we were well in that game. And obviously the, there's the, the McLean-Hayes incident, of course, that, that still is shown as a gif on oh, social media and stuff like that. And it's still, I still don't want to see it. But even in the first half of that game, you know, we had, we had good chances in that game. And it was probably the, the only game I can fully believe that I felt Celtic were in danger of losing a cup final. You know, I mean, I mean, okay, you look recently at Rangers winning the, Rangers in the League Cup final, but certainly involving Aberdeen. You know, we've seen times when Celtic have, have won three 0 and uh, you know, and uh, you know, Aberdeen have gone to Hamden against Celtic and, and, and just not turned up. And it, it's a it's a real pity. But that's my biggest one of my biggest criticism of Derek McInnes is the fact that Aberdeen have only won one trophy. My other slight criticism is that we haven't got to the playoff round in Europe. Now, obviously, we spoke about Craig Brown earlier on. You know, Craig on my own podcast said that he took that Motherwell team to the the playoff against I think it was Odense, uh, and then Jamie Murphy had posted a penalty shoot or something, and, and they went out. But that must, that for me must be classes of disappointment. I mean, okay, qualifying for Europe and, and finishing third, fourth day of the season is, is pretty commendable. And you, you cannot condone the guy for that. But my opinion is, I think they definitely should have won at least one more trophy, if not get around further in Europe. And that, that's, that's my fairest and frankest opinion on, on Aberdeen in that sense. 
Yeah, that's that's um, fair enough because uh, to be fair, I think McInnes that's certainly something with, the, with Europe that's something that irks him. Um, Scottish Cup final, you're right, Constantine's legs were gone. Um, but I should have said to you beforehand, um, that goal is not allowed to be mentioned on here. Um, we, ah. we can't even <laughs> use the excuse of the Celtic fan, Chris. Um, but, <laughs> but we always wind him up about Brian Irvin at the same point. So <laughs> um, You can cut that out if you want. <laughs> <laughs> we might just do that. Um, we'd like to move on to the, um, some of the quick fire stuff now, because um, we're getting close to an hour and a half, um, which is actually quite short for a recent podcast, I must say. Um, sure. So, first of all, I'll start on podcasts. Um, apart from your own and ours, what's your favourite podcast just now? There's quite a few. Um, in terms of general football content, the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, who's one of my heroes, has to be right up there. Um, but there's so many. There's so many different avenues within within the football podcasting game. Um, we mentioned we mentioned football CFB before. You know that's that's one that I chop in and out of now and again. I don't listen to them all, but I listen to the chop bits. Mm-hmm. I mentioned the score and I earlier on with Michael Clark. I like to keep a an interest in Northern Irish football, so I like to to token in on that. Um, I mentioned Super Scoreboard. I like the the quiz aspects of that. But if you want me to ask a definitive podcast. Um, oh, sorry. There's another one as well in Northern Ireland called the Irish League Waffle Podcast. I should mention that as well. But if you wanted me to just pin pin my colours to the mask and say I have to listen to one podcast forever more uh, and listen to every episode, it would be the Totally Football Show without shadow of a doubt. Um, you've obviously got your own mug there. Um, what's your favourite thing to put in that mug? Um, well, I'm not. Well, the interesting thing is I don't drink tea or coffee, um, so I usually have. Uh, an orange juice of some description. I like a lot of orange squash or, or water or something like that. Just something to keep me hydrated. Nothing really more special than that, really. You got a favourite beer? Yeah, beer. Uh, I, I, I like. I, I actually am a cider drinker myself, and no, I'm not singing. <laughs> I am a cider <laughs> drinker. No, no. I, I, I like. I like. I, I like Magnus. Um, that's probably my drink of choice. I do like a rum and coke. Um, yeah. And now in the yeah, absolutely. What's what, your what's rum of choice? Ooh, well, that's tough because, uh, well, undoubtedly Captain Morgan's Spice Rum is my personal favourite. Um, but, you know, I'm open to any other range of suggestions. Um, gents, have anything to offer with that? <laughs> Havana special. Havana special. That's also a very good, admirable choice. Yeah, I like my rums. Yeah. Um, football, we like to ask this as well. Football is associated with pies at half time. What is your favourite pie? It's probably not going to be a pie at Pitodry because they're not the best. Well, but what's your favourite uh, pie? It doesn't need to be at the football. Just your favourite pie. Well, I enjoyed the pies at Fort Martin. I've got to say that. Um, you know, I really enjoyed the pies at Fort Martin. I tell you, um, my local football team, Ellen United, do good pies as well. Um, get them from our, our our local bakery here in 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 the town centre of Ellen. Very very good pies they have as well. Um, but to be honest, I'm I'm quite a novice in that regard because, as I said, I've not travelled an awful lot around the Scottish game, which is quite astonishing. You might might think so. You know, I, I can't say killy pie because everybody says that. But you know, I, I mean, you have the killy pies out of the Euraldies or whatever you get them. But you know, you know I can't say because I'm not physically been to rugby park, so I, I can't you know say that. But you know, I, I don't think I'm quite qualified in that regard. So I think I'll just stick with what I said. 
even just your favourite pyro, if you were to pick up, what would you what would you well, pick? I do like I do like a killy pie out of all these. <laughs> I, I, like I like my pies. I do like a I do like a, a steak pie. A, a good honest steak pie is is, is uh, top quality. I, I I do like chicken pie as well. Um my mum actually makes some really good pies. Um she made chicken and leek the other day, which was absolutely sensational. Ideal. Um, absolutely. Yeah, I tend to find as well, like you're touching, saying about the fact I like the Highland League teams good, doing good pies. Like mm. like you, I follow the junior uh, leagues. So I think the pies get better the, the lower leagues you go down. They take great pride in that. The bakeries are far better. Yeah, they take great pride in what they do. And they also yeah. want to put on a, um, you know, the fan experience is, is very important. We always talk about that. And, you know, a good, honest pie really does help, absolutely. Definitely. A recent one we started asking our guests is... Um, Box sets because um, of the lockdown. Um, has there been okay. any, what's um, been one of your favourites? Well, I don't really, I don't really watch a lot of box sets per or se. Even, I, or I, even I, series well, or anything. Well, uh, okay, that that that's a bit better. So I I'm a big fan of Homeland. Um, you know, I've just watched the. I've actually just still got amazingly. I've still not watched the last episode of Homeland yet. So please don't spoil if anybody's listening. Um, but I'm a big <laughs> I'm a big comedy fan. Um, so I'm a big Father Ted fan. Um, yes. And I, I love the, the the comedy. I think it's fantastic. I'm a big fan of Scotch comedy, so I love Still Game and I love Chewing the Fat. Um, so that you know, I, I like a lot of a lot of drama programs as well. I mean, my mum my and I we watch The Good Doctor, which is which is very good. It's about a doctor who's got uh, Asperger's syndrome, which is uh, very interesting. Um, my mum works in a in a school and deals with a lot of people that have learning difficulties, which is which is very apt and very interesting to watch. So I enjoy watching drama series like that. Um, but you know, I, I like a lot of, bit of everything. You know, I, I like a lot of comedy, as I mentioned. Um, you know, I watch Teachers, which used to be on Channel Four. It was very good. Um, it was good, yeah. And 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 I, and I have to to mention my favourite comedy of all time, which is Frasier. Um, you know, and in a way, it's connected to my own life as well because obviously Frasier Crane being a, a a doctor in psychology and the way he's tried to adapt his own radio show in the same sort of way as I'm trying to do with my podcast. He's a he's a way a slight inspiration. I mean, I love Kelsey Grammer as an as an actor. I think he's fantastic. But but there's so many, there's so many. But that's that's just a a, a select few. Who would be your dream podcast to have on Campbell's podcast? Campbell's footballs. Um. Well, I mentioned James Richardson before. You know, I think he's one of my heroes in, in terms of, you know, I mentioned the Gazetta theme early on in terms of, you know, him him sitting there reading the papers in a cafe in, in somewhere in Turin or Rome. You know, just to speak with that guy would be an absolute delight. Um, but there's so many, you know, you know, Chris Sutton would be one I'd love to speak to. I could even do the Chris Sutton impression, which I'm not going to do here. I'll, I'll maybe do that off this recording. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but what else? What else could I? Who else would I like to interview? Probably, probably someone like Russell Anderson. Talking Manchester United themed players in terms of connections with Manchester United. Um, I'd love to interview Ryan Giggs. Ryan Giggs was one of my heroes growing up as a Manchester United fan. Um, but it's, it's very difficult because you know, in terms of big guests, you know, I always like to say that Campbell's Rules isn't about the, the big guests. I mean, okay, big guests help. You'll get your ratings up, no doubt about that. But I like to get everybody involved as well. So just just a couple of my great pals that I, you know that could come on and just have a chat, and because it provides uniqueness and, and provides yeah. interesting interesting discussions. But that would be my main my main few. But I, I, undoubtedly, Asperger's 
John Watson would be one as well. You know, you know, you know, Motti is an iconic name in the commentary business, and you know, he'd be fantastic to chat with just to gab away. And but there's there's just so many. There's just so many. Definitely. Um, I'll ask the showstopper question. So, um, I specifically asked you if you could to listen to um, the one that we had with Cal McFadden to see how prepared yeah. you. So, I asked him for his best eleven for a podcast eleven. I'm asking you yeah. the same question. Right. Okay. Well, this could, this could be quite tricky because you know, in terms of the the eleven, you know, there might not be people in in starting positions, so to speak. But goalkeeper without a shadow of a doubt is Kenny Arthur. You know, part of this legend. Um, undoubtedly has to be uh, number one on the sheet. And because growing up I had a party thistle strip, the Textile World shirt from the 1994-95 season, I think it was, Kenny's an absolute certainty for number one. At the back, Danny Granger and Mark Wilson both go in at fullbacks. Um, they can interchange. Um, absolutely have to go in, no question about that. I have to mention also two centre-backs that absolutely must go in, uh, Lee Mayo and Dave McCracken. Um, two um, guys who've uh, had very interesting careers and two just genuinely really nice guys and still want to, to chat to me now and again uh, about my podcast. So uh, I really would be uh, 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 delighted to say that about those guys. Um, midfield becomes a bit interesting because, you know, you're looking at midfielders and, uh, you know, you, you have to look at some uh, key players. Matt Holland is undoubtedly a, um, a shoo-in and, and must go in absolute shoo-in to, to go in the team. In fact, I would make him the captain of the team um, just because of the, what he's done in the t- done in the game. He would be an absolute um, sensation and, and, and must go in the team without a shadow of a doubt. Mark Cowie goes alongside him uh, and then Paul Lawson on the other side. Uh, again, two guys who've, who always have passion in the team uh, and, really do a, and really do a good job for, for that regard. Um, up front... Uh, sorry, actually, I'll put Gavin Ray in there as well. Uh, so I'll make a four in midfield. So I'm just going to play a standard 4-4-2. So I'll go put Gavin Ray in there as well. Up front, um, I need to pick um, my great friend and really embry- embryonic, passionate pal, Gregory Taddy. Um, you know, I, when I chatted with Gregory, he, he was absolutely fabulous to chat with. He was just full of, of passion and enthusiasm. And you could tell that he wants to succeed in his own life outside of football. And he's just a, such a friendly face to have on. So, so Gregory Taddy uh, goes up front. And I'm picking Chris Morgan alongside him. Chris Morgan, you know, the guy has won the Gibson Cup um, in Northern Ireland. I have to mention him because I think I have another nice connection in there. You know, to have won the, the Cup with, um, you know, Linfield and, and Glen Torren and have a brilliant career at Crusaders and to do what he's doing in the media now, you know, working with people like Joel Tagger and, and people like that, you know, Fantastic. So that is my 11. And obviously my manager is Craig Brown because, you know, he's he's an absolute hero and I met him. So I hope that's OK for your 11. It's a pretty decent 11, to be fair. Yeah. Are you Craig Brown as well? You, I've met him a few times as well. Gentleman, really nice guy. Yeah. Takes his time to talk to everyone as well. I remember we had a book signing with him and Michael Grant. Yeah. On uh, Scottish football management. Really nice guy, eh? Yeah, definitely. I think that's pretty much everything. Um, Grant, you have been a tremendous guest. Um, Phantom of knowledge. Thanks very much for um, your time. I've enjoyed it. Thanks very much for inviting me on, guys, and, and really all the best for future episodes with the SFF podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, and just send us your black book. <laughs> <laughs>
think we have had to any podcaster now, to be fair. In the black books are getting shared about though a lot, because there's a lot of crossover guests and stuff like that yeah. as well, so... We'll clean the interview should... with Paul Watson was better than yours. <laughs> I, think, I think you should go to um, um, Bill Bailey's uh, shop, uh, Black Books. Cheers, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Grant. Yeah, cheers, Grant. Thanks again, guys. Thanks, John. Cheers, John. Thank <laughs> you.